0: Welcome to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. Today's message was originally preached on Sunday, February 21st by Pastor Rod Heppel. This is the eighth sermon in our 2021 Winter Sermon Series entitled The Joy of the Lord, the Book of Philippians. Check out SardisFellowship.com for more information about our church. Hi everyone. I hope you've been enjoying our sermon series in Philippians, where Paul has modeled for the church in Philippi, and for us as well, How to have joy in the midst of difficult circumstances, which is why we titled this sermon series, The Joy of the Lord. Paul looked past his immediate sufferings to see the great joy of the gospel advancing throughout the palace guard in Rome, even while he was in chains. So this kind of becomes the overarching theme of the letter to the church in Philippi, who were also facing some kind of opposition to their own faith. So Pastor Tim started last week's sermon in chapter 3 verse 1 where he said, rejoice in the Lord. So Paul's like saying in spite of the hardships that you're facing, Philippians, focus on the gospel and what God is doing and rejoice in that. Now we chose to preach through Philippians intentionally because we too are going through challenging and frustrating and discouraging times with COVID restrictions. My hope is that there is an immediate application from this letter to our own situation that we find ourselves in today. The chains of COVID are heavy. And Paul would say to us, look to Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. Look for the ways in which he wants to use you to advance the gospel during this time that we're living through. And rejoice in the Lord. And he even says in chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. So whatever you might be facing today in your own life um, might be hard and it's dragging you down. And I have my fair share of this too. Let's take Paul's lead and choose to rejoice in the Lord no matter what. Let's remember that we are the church, the people of God, who have been called to be a part of Christ's mission here in this world. As Paul said to the Philippian church in chapter 1, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel and whatever happens... Conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's kind of our mission in this world. And that's the big picture of this letter as we continue into our passage today, which is chapter 3, verses 12 to 21. I'm thankful to both Pastor Rob and Tim for preaching in the sermon series. And I'm happy to say that next Sunday we're privileged to have our very own Pastor Dave Lee, who was our former lead pastor here at Sardis Fellowship. And he's going to be preaching the sermon next Sunday. So make sure you join us next week as well. Today we're in Philippians chapter three. Uh, Tim started this chapter last week and today we're gonna finish chapter three. Now verses 12 to 14 are some of the most well-known and quoted verses in the New Testament. In fact, our own dear brother Jack Reems, who passed away earlier this year in January had these very verses highlighted in his Bible with a little note in the margin that said, preach on this at my funeral and, uh, and so I did. So let's read these beloved verses and see what they have to say. Philippians 3, 12 to 14. Paul says, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I I do not yet consider myself, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. First thing to note is that the language that Paul uses here, you know, the pressing on toward the goal to win the prize, is language used for running a race. It's the imagery that Paul has in mind here of an athlete. It's actually one of his favorite analogies that he likes to use in all of his letters or many of them where he tries to explain the spiritual race uh, through the physical running of a race. He's well aware of the Olympic Games, as well as some other ones called the uh, Ithmian Games that ran in Corinth and around that area. And it seems that Paul takes great interest in these games and often will make the comparison between the athlete to the Christian and the physical running of a race to the running of the spiritual race. We see this in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 and 25, where Paul says, "'Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize?' Run in such a way as to get the prize. And that's the exact same emphasis that Paul has here in our passage in Philippians. He goes on to say in verse 25, everyone, competes in the games, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. You see, that's the prize that Paul's talking about in Philippians 3. So, if Paul could use sports illustrations in his sermons, then I can do the same, right? Go Canucks, go. Although there's very little this day that I want to use by way of an illustration from the Canucks. Maybe uh, perseverance or it's darkest just before the dawn. What we need to have in our mind is this picture of these verses talking about a runner. One who not only enters the race but runs the race all the way to the end. and, And with intensity, straining towards the finish line, winning that prize. That's the picture that Paul paints for us as he reflects on his own spiritual journey and how we are to follow Christ. So one, you start the race, two, you run the race, and three, you finish the race. Now there's this very famous race that took place here in Vancouver in 1954 at Empire Stadium, where the British Commonwealth Games were hosted that year. There was tremendous buildup to um, one of the races. It was a one-mile race that was to take place between two runners who both had earlier that year broken the four-minute mile, running it in like 3 minutes and 59 seconds. The first guy is John Landy from Australia, and the other one is Roger Bannister from England. Now, they would finally meet and go head-to-head to determine who was the world's fastest runner. That's why all the hype. In fact, they promoted this race as the mile of the century. But afterwards, it became known as the Miracle Mile. You might remember that. So, what exactly happened? Well, 35,000 spectators packed into the stands, and the rest of the world was watching eagerly as both men approached the starting blocks. A one-mile race is four laps around the track, and John Landy led for almost the entire race until the last 100 meters. With only 90 meters to go, Landy took a fateful glance over his left shoulder to check the position of his opponent. At that instant, Roger Bannister streaked by him on the right-hand side, passing him and pressing on to win that race and doing it in a commonwealth record of three minutes and 58 seconds. Landy came second at three minutes and 59 seconds and this was the first time in history that two men running the same race broke the four-minute barrier. Now, Paul would say, when it comes to running the spiritual race, this is not the time to look over your shoulder. You don't win the race by looking backwards. There is a goal. There is a finish line and there is a prize. So he, he presses on. He strains towards it. This is his language. So let's look a little bit more at the analogy of a race as it relates to salvation. Because we want to make sure we understand what Paul is saying in this passage and what he's not saying. I'm talking about verses 12 to 14. Some groups, religious groups, have understood Paul's words to say something different than really what he's intending to be said here. They end up with a works-oriented salvation or the ability to achieve this perfect holy status, and that's not what Paul's teaching. So let's look at it more closely. Let's go back to the one, two, three of the race analogy that I was saying before, where you start the race, you run the race, and you finish the race. And let's parallel that to the spiritual understanding of salvation. So number one you start your spiritual race by placing your faith in Jesus Christ and by so doing you're justified. That's justification. Number two, you run the spiritual race by living a life of obedience to Jesus. That's sanctification. And number three, you finish the race when Jesus returns or you die to go to be with him and that's glorification. And we see here in this chapter, these three aspects of salvation. So first off, in verse 9, you start the race by putting your faith in Jesus. This is called justification, whereby faith in Jesus makes you right with God. You're forgiven of your sins, you're cleansed, you're changed, you're placed into his family. The Holy Spirit comes to live within you. You are justified, you're made righteous before God, but it's because of Jesus. Secondly, um, about verse 9 there, uh, Paul says this, he says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And if you were with us last week, you might remember that Tim quoted Paul's words in Romans 3.21. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. Apart from the law. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And then Pastor Tim said this, righteousness is received not achieved. That's how you start the race by receiving Jesus and that's what Paul's own experience was with salvation and that's what he teaches throughout his letters. Salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ, not by works. The second aspect of salvation is sanctification. That's your pursuing of Jesus for your entire life. Sanctification means to be set apart and in this context it means to be set apart for God's purposes. This is where, um, as a Christian, we live out what God says is true of us because of our faith in Jesus. So, Paul says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on toward the goal to win the prize. That's prize. That's sanctification. He's set apart to do God's will, to live his life for Christ. And he's not yet obtained all This meaning that he's not yet made perfect in maturity or complete in all of this. There's still more work to be done. That's the idea there. Thirdly, in verse 20 and 21, it says that one day our bodies will be transformed into glorious bodies. This is talking about glorification, whereby our earthly bodies are transformed into heavenly bodies to look like that of Jesus' resurrected body. So Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who, by the power that he has, right, enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies, that is, our earthly bodies, so that they will be like his glorious body, that is, like Jesus' resurrected body. That's the prize. When we step across the finish line, when we step into eternity, God has prepared for us an eternal home. That's why Paul says that we have heavenly citizenship and that we've received a glorified body at that moment, fit for that eternal home. So justification, sanctification, glorification. You start the race. You run the race. You finish the race. So what Paul is speaking about here in verses 12 to 14 is the second aspect of salvation here. He's, he's talking about sanctification. He's not describing how to be saved. He's describing how you are to live now that you are saved. He's not talking about how you start the race. He's talking about how you run the race. You know, we all know how easy it is to start something and not finish it. It's easy to start a race and not finish the race, right? Like, how many do-overs do we actually need? Evidently, a lot. So what might have been in um, mind of the people here when they're reading this as, as to the challenges that they found hard in running the spiritual race that they needed to continue to press on? I would think that they're much the same things that you and I struggle with. Not much has changed from generation to generation. There's nothing new under the sun. Uh, You know, it could have been apathy. The person just tires of life, the grind of life. Maybe they were disillusioned because they had hoped for the return of Christ and that he would come and end their struggles, and it hadn't happened yet. And they were kind of losing their spiritual fervor. Maybe it was just outright sin, right? Like sin sucks the joy out of running the race. And maybe that left them feeling indifferent indifferent towards living a life for Christ. Paul's about to address a wrong perspective in their understanding because in verses 18 and 19, he says, there's many people who live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame. So there seems to be a group of people who have lost sight of the holiness of God and the importance of running this race, right? They resorted to living um, life for the things of this world and maybe they were counting on God's grace to cover it all and they just had given up on trying to live a holy life. Well, whatever it was they, that they struggled with, it's the same kind of stuff we have. Pride, greed, lust, selfishness, laziness, arguing, disagreements, divisions. Paul wants to help this church to keep going, to not drift, to not look back, to not stop running. If we're honest, these are the same kinds of things that keep us from running the race, as Paul's describing here, with intensity and perseverance, right? He even says in verse 17, follow my example. You know, what Paul's saying is he's trying to inspire their faith. He's saying, don't let the sin of this world cause you to lose sight of the fact that you are in a race. And there is a goal. And there is a finish line. And there is a prize. So press on. strain toward it. So are we running the spiritual race as we should be? And what is it that keeps you from running the race as Paul wants us to hear? What keeps us in the race? Is it not God's grace that keeps us in the race? The fact that we know that Jesus died for our sins, the fact that we know he forgiven us our sins, the fact that we know we can't turn our back on him. That's what actually motivates Paul here. He says he presses on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of him. Jesus took hold of Paul when Paul was caught up in legalism. Remember his story? He had been a zealous Pharisee studying, and at one time he was driven so much to keeping the law that he was even persecuting the church and and having people killed for disobeying the law. But then he met Jesus, or maybe I should say that Jesus met him, and then Paul realized that his own efforts could not produce righteousness. It was only found in Jesus, not in keeping the law. Paul's own righteousness could not save him. Remember last week? That was his paradigm moment, the shift from law to grace. And he knew that for himself. And that's what motivated him to be in that race. It was because of the act of God's grace shown to Paul that Paul now says, that's how we live out this life. That same passion Christ had to save me from my sin and took a hold of my life, That's how I want to have a passion for living my life for him. This isn't complicated. I mean, it's complicated in the sense that it's hard to do, but not to understand. Jesus gave his life for us. He wants us to live our lives for him. To the legalist, Paul would say, you can't achieve righteousness with God by your works. And so he reminds them that it's only through faith in Jesus. That's how you start the race. But to the one who sees grace as a license to sin, he reminds them that it's because of God's grace that we are to live for Jesus and to pursue a life of righteousness. We don't take that for granted. At least we're not supposed to. So he says in verse 15, there's two types of Christians in the church, mature and immature. And then he says, if you disagree with me, you're on the immature side of that equation. All of us then who are mature should take such view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. In other words, he will change your mind to understand this. If you think that you're made right with God by your own law keeping, Paul says you're wrong. That's immature thinking. If you think that, you know, you've prayed a prayer and now you can go live a life of sin and have license to sin because of grace, you're wrong, he says. That's immature. Well, then what is the right answer? Press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called you, heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's the answer. But maybe today you feel discouraged and your faith is challenged and you're not running the race well. Well, there's one more illustration that I want to share with you from the idea of running a race. I was looking at some videos this past week of different runners who barely finished the race. Often, they wouldn't have crossed the finish line. Uh, without the help of someone else. And when they did cross the line, they, they just, they collapsed, right? So a number of runners would stop and help someone and carry them basically across the line, just so that person could complete the race. And, and I thought that was really touching because it meant that their time would be less and, you know, number of runners ran past, but some people helped them out. Well, there's this one illustration that really caught my attention. It was a race, a long-distance cross-country race in 2012, where there were two racers out in front, a Spanish runner and a Kenyan. Now, the Kenyan was a good distance ahead of the Spanish runner, but he didn't realize where the finish line was. He mistakenly stopped 10 meters short of the finish line. The Spanish runner was just booking along, about to pass him, when he took in the situation and realized that the Kenyan had mistakenly thought that he'd already crossed the finish line. Now they couldn't speak each other's language, and so the Spanish guy just continued to push and point the Kenyan runner to the finish line, <clears throat> and he allowed the Kenyan to cross that line first because he knew that he was the rightful winner. You know, Paul's doing that. He's he's pointing the way for the Church of the Philippians. He's saying he's reminding them, just keep going. You're not there yet. You haven't crossed the finish line. It's just ahead. Strain toward it. We see this same kind of care of Paul for this church in chapter 2 with Timothy when he says, I hope to send him to you soon. Why? Because he wants the church to make it. He wants the church to finish strong. You know, I think that's why Jack Reams had that verse or those verses highlighted in his Bible. Because he wanted to finish strong. Jack's own spiritual story reflected the fact that he had started the race with Christ. He had stumbled along the way. He had you know, reset his eyes on Christ, and he wasn't content to just float along to the finish line. No, he pressed on, and he finished well, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead. Paul knew that there was a day of judgment coming, and to not run this race well meant one day we would stand before God and have to give an account of our lives. And He wanted to remind this church of that truth as well. He said in, in 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is, due, what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. You know, that's a sobering thought. But it's also a motivating thought. Let's take hold of Christ for that which he took hold of us. You know, as Paul neared the end of his life, he could pen these words in 2 Timothy 4. FOR I AM ALREADY BEING POURED OUT LIKE A DRINK OFFERING AND THE TIME FOR MY DEPARTURE IS NEAR. I HAVE FOUGHT THE GOOD FIGHT. I HAVE FINISHED THE RACE. I HAVE KEPT THE FAITH. NOW THERE IS IN STORE FOR ME THE CROWN OF RIGHTEOUSNESS WHICH THE LORD, THE RIGHTEOUS JUDGE, WILL AWARD TO ME ON THAT DAY AND NOT ONLY TO ME BUT ALSO TO ALL WHO HAVE LONGED FOR HIS APPEARING. WOW. THAT IS AWESOME. I WANT TO ENCOURAGE YOU THAT IF YOU NEED HELP IN PURSUING CHRIST I HOPE THAT YOU WILL REACH OUT TO US. You can email or call our staff. We're here to help you take your next best step in following Jesus. There are also many other avenues that are available to you to run this race well, to help you in that. On our website, we offer a free video resource called Right Now Media. And you just click on the banner, you add your email and a password, and you have access to thousands of sermons that you can use as podcasts uh, or video. Bible studies uh, to encourage you. There's videos for your kids and studies for youth and just a host of things. It's called Right Now Media. We also now have all of our sermons as podcasts. So if you miss a sermon and you want to listen to it while you drive to work or if you can at work, um, you know, if you have an iPhone, you just go to your, your iPod icon and type in Sardis Fellowship. and All of our sermons will come up as well as some new discipleship podcasts that Pastor Rob is doing. And we also have some other Zoom groups. We have men's and women's connection points and online studies. Uh, We also have Bible Buddies. And if you're not familiar with that, you just sign up and you get connected with someone else. And then you kind of help each other stay on track with reading your Bible. That can be helpful in this journey. And we have our Growing Together program uh, where seniors adopt a young family. And a young family adopts the senior or seniors. And some of you are already doing this. And we're hearing some neat things um, coming back. You're sharing prayer requests for each other. And I heard of one family where the seniors invited them to do a community garden together. And uh, the kids are going to learn from the seniors how to grow vegetables and flowers and stuff like that. How fantastic. Now, if you want to be a part of that, just go to the website, click on the banner that says Growing Together, and you can fill in the form and you will get connected with someone. The point is, we don't run this race alone. The body of Christ is here to pray for and care for one another. So reach out to us. Let us help you. And may God bless you as you press on toward the goal. Here's our questions that we invite you to discuss today in your home with family, friends, or get on the phone, talk to someone. Here's the questions. Number one, is there someone that you can think of who modeled well how to run the spiritual race right to the end? What stands out to you about their life? Number two, talk about the difference between starting the spiritual race and running the spiritual race. And why is grace so important to both? And thirdly, Paul used words like, I press on, and straining toward what is ahead, to describe how he was running the spiritual race. What is one thing you could do this week that would move you forward in your spiritual walk? Well, God bless you as you talk about those questions, and may he truly guide you to having that deep sense of following Christ right to the very end. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. For more information on Sardis Fellowship, please check out sardisfellowship.com.